0: just got three things to say. God bless our troops. God bless America. And gentlemen, start your engine!
1: This is In The Zone, your home for Solana Sports Talk.
0: Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. On
1: 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM is a disgusting act personal file 69 office he was giving them the business now here's the host of your show jackson schneider
0: what is up Welcome in to In The Zone today here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL and 106.7 on the FM dial. I am Jackson Schneider, and let's start off where we finished yesterday. I'm going to get right into it because we got some fun audio from KCAC Football Media Day to get into from earlier, and I don't want to waste any time. But yesterday, I ended the show kind of recapping the Royals' At the trade deadline. Well, J.J. Piccolo and the Kansas City Royals organization were my literal worst nightmare. As they did everything hush-hush right at the deadline. And the stories didn't break until right as we ended our show. So, let's catch up a little bit. Yesterday, we thought they made literally one deal. Uh, on the trade deadline day, which was acquiring Tucker Davidson from the Angels just for cash. Davidson had been DFA'd earlier in the week, and so the Royals got him for a little bit of cash. Nothing big, super easy, no big deal. Well then, the Royals, again, right at the deadline, they come in and acquire a pair of players from the Dodgers. They get minor league infielder Devin Mann and outfielder Derlin Figueroa from the Dodgers in exchange for Ryan Yarbrough, the left-handed starter for the Royals. Mann is a 26-year-old, but is absolutely mashing in A for the Dodgers, hitting 307, 33 doubles, 14 home runs, 50 walks. Um, and over five minor league seasons, he's batted a total of 270. Uh, with 65 home runs. So he can hit really well, supposedly. Um, And I think that's a really fine return there. It gets even better when you toss in Derlin Figueroa, who turns 20 in September. Hits lefty, throws righty, and has played in 31 games for the Arizona Complex League Dodgers, which is A ball. Uh, He's got a 748 OPS with 16 runs scored, four doubles, three home runs, 21 RBIs, and he's walked... 19 times in 113 plate appearances. So that's certainly going to work. Young, young guy. High upside for him as as well. And uh, I'm really, you know, this is the first good... Good to great, potentially return for the Royals in a while, and I was trashing JJ Piccolo uh, for just standing pat and not doing anything at the deadline yesterday. So I owe him an apology because this is a good deal to get rid of a 31-year-old pitcher who is four and five in his first season in Kansas City, a 4.24 earned run average in 14 games and seven starts. He's not a big strikeout guy, um, like he's decent. He's a decent pitcher, but the return on this for the Royals, the return on investment here, is perfect for what you're giving up in Ryan Yarbrough, and I am totally cool with it. You get, like I said, you get a, a what seems like a somewhat of a veteran that's about ready to break through in the major leagues because he's hitting really well, and uh, you know playing the infield, they are always going to have a need for that. And then the outfield, you've got this really young guy that seems to have a lot of potential, and you're playing with this young core anyways, leaning into the future and building forward. Like, I'm totally cool with that return. And then it even got better, okay? Because then, right after the Royals announced that they had acquired minor league right-handed pitchers Henry Williams and Jesus Rios from the Padres... In exchange for right-handed closer Scott Barlow, Williams is just 21 and has recorded 40 strikeouts in just over 42 innings. That's an 8.5 K-9 per average across 12 starts this season in Class A ball. That is totally fine. He's a third-rounder last year in the first-year player draft out of Duke, so that works for me. Then, a 21-year-old Rios has made 16 relief appearances this season with the San Diego Dominican Summer League teams. 6-3 Six and three record, two saves, was signed as an international free agent in January out of Mexico, and uh, he'll remain with the Royals' blue team in the Dominican Summer League. So you get two potential future pitchers that seem to have a lot of upside. For Barlow, who is 30 and has a two and four record and a five three five earned run average, but was the team's designated starter, so he had 13 saves and 31 appearances this year. The thing is. The Royals right now have absolutely no need at all. No need whatsoever for a closer. This is a baseball team that, although they won last night and they now have won four games in a row, they have struggled significantly this year, and that is an understatement. I mean, 33-75 and this year? A team that's 42 games under 500 has no need for a closer whose specific job is to come in and finish games and win you the contest in the ninth inning. You do not have a need for that position right now. Give him to a team that does, that's trying to make the playoffs and has this high pay role like the do, like the the Padres, excuse me. And uh just get stuff to build for the future. Again, lean in to that potential, that future that that future date that the Royals are trying to set towards in the next 2 to 3 to 4 years potentially continue to you know, develop the young core that you've got. Get some guys back from injury. You know, and and see where this thing might take you a couple years down the road. Because unfortunately, it is certainly not happening this year. So, uh, good moves, in my opinion, made uh, by by the Royals front office and and JJ Piccolo. I know um, it's not the most exciting stuff. They probably could have done a little bit more, but I'm I'm totally cool with it. They were at least trying, and and all sources indicate they were trying to do more, it just didn't get done. They were even in talks with trading Salvador Perez, which people listening to this might be clutching their pearls right now and gasping that that was even a possibility, but like teams need catchers. Teams need veteran catchers, especially veteran catchers that have won a World Series and been a World Series MVP. Like Miami Marlins, they, they were in conversations with the Royals about getting Salvador Perez. And the Marlins are right in the thick of, of things in the NL right now, and especially in the NL East. Like they they are vying for a play, not only a playoff spot, but trying to make a playoff run. And to get in like an aging catcher, as good as Salvador Perez is, as much of a Royals icon as he is, he's literally my favorite Royal of all time. The Royals would have probably been very smart to to trade him off and get something to continue building for the future. That's just the the state of the, the franchise right now. But um, I do see the other side of that coin. Being a team that's 42 games under 500 right now, there is very little fan support as it is at the moment because every game they play gets more and more meaningless the more and more they lose. And if you get rid of, by trading the only notable player on this Royals roster right now, you're going to have next to no fan support, next to no attendance, no reason for fans to come and watch your games. So it's kind of dancing a line of still needing to make money and sell tickets the rest of this sunken ship of a season while also building for the future. So it's a tough line to walk. I do understand that, but I I think the Royals are, are in a good spot. And... They're playing decent baseball right now. I don't know what it is, but over the the weekend with the sweep of Minnesota and winning last night against the New York Mets, they're they're playing some good baseball. Maybe they can keep it going and get some fans back and, and reinterested now in this young core that has shown flashes of potential. The only problem is that that potential has shown few and far between. But I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm happy with the returns the Royals have gotten. I'm happy that they didn't just sit on their hands and do nothing. Um... And uh, we'll we'll see what what all comes from it, I guess, in the future because only time will tell. But we got to get to a break here. When we come back, it is August second, and that is KCAC football media day. Uh, so all the football coaches of the KCAC uh, gathered over a face uh, Facebook live and. and talked about the starts of their season and camp on the horizon and everything. And I've got audio from both Kansas Wesleyan and from New Bethany head coach Mike Grossner. So be sure to stick around and listen to that coming up next here on In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. back to in the zone here on sports radio 1150 ksal 106.7 on the fm dial it is august 2nd and that is kcac football media day all the kansas collegiate athletic conference football coaches uh got together on a facebook live earlier today and and talked about the prospectus of their season and answered questions from media and fans and uh Always enjoy hearing from from the coaches of the KCAC. I've followed it closely for the last several years and plan to continue doing so. But uh, um, when you get to media day, obviously the excitement kind of ramps up even more than than you know normal, just because you're you're finally getting that taste of the season and you're you're hearing what the expectations are or what some of the challenges each team might expect, and uh, it really fires me up. But uh, this year. The Bethany College Swedes—they have a brand new head football coach in Mike Grossner, who has been previously at Baker and, and a couple other different stops along the way. He's been very successful uh, in his stints as head coaches in in, in different places. But uh, you can tell right away—he he brings this this confidence, this swagger. Uh, Back to Lindsborg, something that they have been missing, frankly, for the last couple of years. And it's great to see that energy back and the the positive momentum surrounding that program. They made some staffing changes, but they did maintain a good chunk of that staff as well. And they maintained an even better chunk of that roster. And continuity, when you have a new regime, is so big because you're already, you know, changing so many different things with scheme and and with the culture if you're having to do all of that with a a gigantic chunk of new players too you know it gets even harder and and i will say you know that continuity that they bring back will certainly be helpful because they have a large freshman class incoming and coach grossner will get into that here when we get the audio in just a second but i mean things are looking up down in lindsburg for bethany it might not happen right away but we've seen it in other places. It takes a year or two and things can really get turned around. And that Bethany program is too proud and has had too much history and too much success in the past to stay down in the KCAC for much longer. So I'm very excited to let you hear from the brand new head football coach of the Bethany College Swedes. This is Mike Grossner from KCAC football media day.
2: Thanks for having me, Pat. Uh, I'll go through kind of those questions the media ask, and then uh, take any others. <clears throat> you know, I've had the experience of playing in a conference that was just like the KCAC over in the heart uh, about midstream. We went to, we added a couple of teams and went to 12 teams and we split our conferences. Uh, there was a lot of trepidation, you know, amongst the coaches as we did that. <clears throat> but through the years uh we all I think would agree that it was a, it was a good thing for the conference. Um, <clears throat> it sets up uh, rivalries within your we had a south and a north division, uh, but you still play everybody and you and, and it every game still means something for the the national rankings. Uh, the beauty of it was, You know, in in our case, we're very young again this year. Uh, So, so you're playing out of conference your first uh, six games. You kind of get a feel for your football team, and then you get a break for a week, and then you jump right into your conference play. So, you could have a few hiccups at the start of the season, but by mid-season, hopefully, you got your team playing well enough to contend for the conference title. So. You are uh, playing two seasons in one, but every game counts because, uh, you know, if you have too many hiccups, you're not gonna be in that top 25 and, and get and, and get to the playoffs. I do believe they have a new rule in where if you do win your conference, you're an automatic qualifier, which helps. Uh, the old rule was you had to still win the games and be ranked in the top 20. Um, so, I, I think everybody, once they experience it, uh, will really get to like it. And I think it, it's intriguing for the fans. Uh, it gives you, halfway through the year, a re-energized feeling amongst your fan base and your football team. Um, you know, I, that wrinkle where you're going to switch it around every two years will be something I haven't experienced. And, and I think that will make us unique amongst the country. Uh, As far as the question, uh, where's a favorite stadium to play? I've played a few of these guys. I know a few of these guys through the years. uh, And I played here 35 years ago. So I'm going to date myself a little there. But uh, my first coaching experience was with Coach Kessinger uh, 34 years ago. I get to see Coach K every Tuesday and then, you know, at times we pass each other when he's walking his dog. So it's really cool, unique, uh, exciting for me to be back here and still see Coach Kessinger's, uh, Coach Sambo, who was my offensive coordinators in town. So uh, it's it's quite a treat to see those guys weekly. Um, I would have to say based off playing experience uh, the school up north, Kansas-Westland, is is probably my favorite place to play. And uh, what a rivalry that it, that it still goes on. Uh, I happen to live in Salina, so I hear uh, about Kansas-Westland a lot, and run into their fans a lot. And so I, I gotta believe that's gonna be a great atmosphere in week two. Uh, they've got a brand, a new stadium to me. Uh, and it looks like a fantastic place to play. So we're excited for that one. Um, as far as returning players, we've got five on offense. We've got seven on defense. I would call starters. And then one uh, honorable mention all conference young man, but we're still very young. We, we've only got three seniors and two were walk-ons. So we're, we're a real young football team. When I got here in the spring uh we had eight practices in spring ball i got to know these guys pretty good the returners we had a great buy-in uh we had good retention over over 50 guys are back uh from from last year's crew and then we've signed 65 young men so we've got a good roster we're we're awful young um but i think in some key areas we're going to be all right we I, i like our quarterback room i think there's a young man Excuse me. There's a young man named Peyton Manolfi. Uh, he's been here. He's a redshirt sophomore to be. He's 6'6", 250, and a kid out of Florida, and he can really throw it, and he stands in there. Uh, he'll stand in the pocket and deliver. I I like what he did in the spring. We brought in an offensive lineman that can play all five positions. We've got him at guard right now named uh, Ruben Almaderas, he's a big 6'2", 340 pound kid that can move. Uh, our group of receivers, I like the group. Uh, we lost one impact guy um, to a transfer back home. <clears throat> and so as a group, a collective group, we've got to come through in that situation. Uh, we converted a D lineman over to tight end named Joel Fraser, and he did a nice job in the spring. And I really like what he's done for us. So offensively, I think our strength's up front in our offensive line and our quarterback position, and and we'll grow from there. Uh, Defensively, we have seven returning starters, uh, young guys for the most part. Uh, Connor is a really good football player, number 33 from last year. He's playing an outside linebacker safety position for us. Very active kid, loves football. He's a kid out of Hawaii uh to Kansas and uh he, he's he's a leader for us and does the right thing off the field as well Calvin jeans is a middle linebacker big kid a uh, good football player out of Georgia uh we're going to ask him to do a few things on our defense uh Anthony Johnson's probably our best returning player in the secondary I think in the secondary we're going to have a lot of competition and some young guys are going to step in and play there or, or, or push some guys that have been here. Uh, Julian Carpenter, at linebacker, is a returning all-conference honorable mention. He's a kid out of Phoenix, Arizona. Very smart, good football player. He's been off an injury, and hopefully he's ready to go. Uh, Kyrie Marshall is another linebacker out of the Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania area. And uh, he's going to be a senior force us and, and a good football player that can play a couple positions. So I think our strengths are at linebacker on defense. Uh, we've got some mystery at secondary, but I think we've got some capable players. And then I think we made improvement in the D-line up front uh, in our recruiting. Uh, we've got a young man, in nose guard coming out of uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Arizona, named David Sweetman that I think is going to make an impact. He was a three-time state finalist uh, as a heavyweight wrestler, national wrestler as well. And he's just a tough kid, very active. Um, And then offensively, it's going to be some young guys stepping up in the backfield. We lost JJ Allen. Uh, He had some academic difficulties. I thought he was a special player. Um, And so we've we've got a collective group that we've recruited. Sizes from five seven one fifty to six one two ten, and we'll see who totes the rock there amongst that group, uh, but I like them, and uh, that's about it for our crew. I, I, I like what we have. They bought in uh, an, an enjoyable group to coach. Uh, I think I've put together a great staff, great mix of some of the guys that were on staff before. Uh, the, the interim head coach from last year is on staff with me, Coach Grigsby. He's a great guy. He's coaching our O-line recruiting coordinator. He's done a great job. Um, defense coordinator is a young guy that played for me at Baker. Josh Seibert played for me in Europe. Uh, you know, my running back coach is Newt Holden. Uh, he played uh, center for us on our 2016 national finalist team. Uh, Cybert was on that team as well, but he's going to coach our running backs. Ch- uh, Chance Clatterbucks, a guy I hired from Salinas South, but we have Arizona ties together. He's going to help with our O line. And then I kept uh, Trevin Chandler. He's our DB coach. He's a Bethany alum, Uh, does a nice job in the secondary force. Trey Williams, Bethany alums coaching our linebackers. And then Kobe Martin's coaching our Whiteouts. He's a Bethany alum as well. So I, I feel like we got a great mix. These guys have gotten to know each other. Now we uh, get a chance to uh, put a camp together and then uh, play that first ball game. All
1: right, Coach. Well, we do have a question from Facebook. How have you gone about establishing a new culture within the Bethany program? And what signs have you seen from your team to, to kind of prove that that culture is starting to, to take shape? <clears throat>
2: Yeah, I interviewed uh, every one of the returners when I right before Christmas break. So I was able to meet them a little bit, them to get to meet me. And then once we got going in the spring, with our weight program, that's where it started. Uh, We had a lot of energy in there. Uh, A few guys didn't want to do it, and they're gone. Uh, But uh, the guys that stayed uh, really bought in. And then we jumped into eight practices in the spring and, and very coachable group a lot of energy uh really had fun with them we had one scrimmage and it went well and uh you know we've got a stadium renovation going on it's being named after coach Kessinger it's awesome and uh they're working as we're speaking here so we didn't have a lot of guys stay here over the summer because of the facility uh but the guys that did have really worked hard and I I You know, it's tough, 22 losses in a row. I mean, let's not (laughs) sugarcoat it here. uh, I I expected worse. I expected slumped shoulders, guys walking around, uh, maybe trying to get out of here and uh, look for brighter pastures, but they stayed, and and they they walked around uh, with their shoulders up and ready to work, and um, I give them a lot of credit. Uh, they're young guys. They could they could they could do what they want at a very young spot in their career. And, and they stayed here to to be a part of something. And, um, you know, who knows when it's going to happen? I hope right away, you know, and I I, I love coaching the group. And I, I think our staff would would tell you that as well. And so if they stay on board and uh, keep working hard and things fall the right way, we could have some successes and then you just build on that.
0: Again, that was Mike Grossner, new head football coach of the Bethany College. Swedes here on In the Zone as we work through KCAC Football Media Days audio. He, I love it, you know, a lot of times at the the NAIA level or lower levels uh, of college football, you don't get a ton of insight. Like, they they answer the few basic questions and they, they don't really get, super deep into it but Mike Grossner was very detailed I mean he talked for over 10 minutes and was very candid and honest about where they're at and what he's building and who he's brought in and some of the players he likes players they'll even be without like we learned so much about Bethany just from hearing that but uh, it's good to hear that they've got a lot of of continuity on that defense but they're going to have some great competition in the secondary they're also going to Seemingly have their guy uh, at quarterback, which is a huge, huge step when you've got a brand new head football coach. A guy who's been there before and played big minutes or big, big, in big situations for Bethany last season. So uh, very exciting for them. Uh, now let's bring it back here into Salon N for Kansas Wesleyan. Head football coach Matt Myers in his now second season as the head coach of the Coyotes. 8-3 uh, and three last year, three close losses, all of them by one possession, uh, six or less uh, even. And The defense was one of the best in the country. They allowed right around 10 points per game, but the offense at times last year is really what uh, left a lot to be desired. But another year under their their athletic or their excuse me their offensive coordinator uh, James Bauer and uh, he was did big things at Southwestern previously. so a lot of, a lot of optimism and a lot of new faces in Kansas Wesleyan's locker room so that continuity in certain places around the the program is certainly going to help I think that they um, they return a lot of the biggest areas of of need uh, for the offense to take big steps forward I mean they bring their their quarterback that played a good chunk of the games last year in Richard Lara back Uh, they bring back Tyler Boston Nick Allsman Mark Benjamin three very talented running backs um and uh, those are guys that will all split carries. They bring back a couple different of the, uh, their wide receivers that are always very, very dangerous. They should get Woody Banks back, who was injured late in the year last year at Ottawa. So, a lot to be excited about for the Coyotes offense. But. A lot of questions surrounding their defense as well. New defensive coordinator Justin Sullivan stepping into that elevated role just a few short weeks ago uh, with a lot of bodies, a lot of new guys. They lost a ton uh, on that defense that was so staunch from a season ago, again, at, uh, allowing right around 10 points per game on opponents. So um, a lot of questions to be answered there, but let's let head coach Matt Myers answer those questions here with more audio from KCAC Football Media Day.
3: I appreciate it. Uh, You know, I'll start with thank yous. Uh, Thanks for everyone that put this on. Scott, we'll miss you. You know, Kansas Wesleyan administration, from President Thompson on down to Ken Oliver, Miguel, the athletic, um, you know, department, just everyone that supports football around town and my staff and their families, um, my family specifically, you know, Sarah and the kids, uh, appreciate you a ton. Uh, I'll get into it. You know, we are we graduated a lot of guys. Uh we are returning um, you know, quarterback that played for us a lot last year, three tailbacks that um that split carries for us, um, uh an offensive lineman that's uh, that played for us that, that came in and, and sat his freshman year, and then played um, you know, a sophomore year, uh, and then a couple wide receivers that um that started for us at different times in the season. Uh defensively, we're gonna bring back um you know defensive lineman that was honorable mention for us uh two linebackers uh in the same boat and uh three defensive backs you know we're we're in the situation where you know our defense plays specifically defensively we'll play up to you know 22 24 25 guys a Saturday so um you know there's a there's a lot of experience coming back on that end um but really we did we did a lot of mid-year recruiting uh, to bring some guys in in January to help us out in the spring, get through spring ball. Uh, we brought in about 30 uh at mid-year. We'll bring in 60 more for the fall. So uh really with losing, you know, graduating 35 guys uh from last fall, you know, really we're looking at um, a brand new roster. So there's a lot of excitement in the spring and it's gonna be you know super competitive this fall. Um expectation wise, you know, I'm like, as long as we're playing consistent, violent football, you know, and executing, you know, up to our standards, like we, you know, we feel really good about it. It's going to be one of those things, like with the split season, um, you know, if you're looking at it like that uh, it, I guess it gives you some time to, you know, to kind of figure out like who fits where, you know, we're going to run into two weeks of, of football and then we're or practice, sorry. And then we're into game week. So, um, you know we're super excited to to get into this this format that's going to change every two years i think that's very unique um you know it'll it'll be interesting to see how it plays out i'll, I'll uh i think it'll be awesome' I mean, I'm, I'm super excited to see how that goes for us obviously everyone's talked about you know automatic bids and you know more representation into the playoffs um you know that's all good for the KCAC. I mean, we're a very competitive. Uh, conference and it's you know it's one of those things like if you know we're only getting one in or you know in previous years and we think we should add two like this will kind of help us define uh, uh and adjust as the you know kind of the uh, hierarchy kind of changes throughout year over year over year especially in college football everyone kind of knows how that works um but no preparation stays the same I think that the the bye week will be great like I'm super excited to have a bye week um, you know have a chance for the guys to you know to have a week to heal and you know maybe relax for a day or two uh instead of just going 11 straight like we've been doing the past past few years um biggest difference between now i mean like we graduated 35 guys so uh, you know we have based on how we operate offense and defensively we do have a lot of different like we play a ton of guys on Saturdays. We just do, um, you know, I'm not like, unless you're Shaq Bradford, like you're, you're probably not going to play 90 snaps a, a game. Like, that's just the way it is. Um, so uh, for us, it's, it's going to be, um, you know, kind of seeing where guys like seeing what roles guys fall into, um, you know, and, and giving up reps, uh, you know, as we go through practice and in and into game week and into the game, you know, like, um, You know, that's it'll it be super exciting. It's going to be very competitive. Um, You know, we brought in like our mid-year class, you know, our quarterback room is going to be full, Um, you know, wide receiver room. We backfilled O-line, D-line, like every position. Right. So we're just we're in that situation where like we're going to, you know, I'm excited for Friday. Everyone's going to check in and we get rolling on Saturday. So um, it'll be it will be fun, uh, which football should be. And, you know, we'll see everything works out.
1: To bring you up, your favorite place to play other than
3: oh, the, that? Um, that stadium. <laughs> you know, I like uh, I like going up to Leavenworth. They got a great view uh, at St. Mary. I think that's a I think that's a great place to play.
1: Okay, you do have two more questions coming from Facebook coach, and I'll let you address them both. Uh, one is, what is the biggest challenge you believe? that you will have this season with so many younger players compared to the last season as you brought up 35 guys uh you know graduating certainly a big number and then along the same lines when you lose all those guys a, a good chunk come in from your defense. So how do you believe the what do you think the defense is going to be like this year compared to previous seasons? That's
3: a good question. I, you know I think that when you're when you're looking at gra- I mean it's just the natural, like that's what happens, right? Like in 17 we graduated a ton of seniors, and then in 18 we, you know, rolled it back and, and had a really good season. Like it's one of those things you're just as long I in my opinion, as long as we're operating, you know, um, you know, fast and efficient and, and teaching properly, like these young guys have been with, with us for the last you know two or three years like the guys that are going into the redshirt sophomore year their junior year which is you know most of our rosters made up of you know junior sophomores and freshmen we only have seven seniors so um it's one of those things like it, like those guys have have gotten a chance to play on Saturdays maybe not exclusively um or maybe taking the majority of the reps but they they have and you know we we don't we like we don't run scout teams at practice you know we go ones on ones twos on twos and um you know our uh, developmental guys against developmental guys. So they're, uh, they're getting reps within our scheme every single day. So it'll be, you know, it's just who steps up and how fast they can step up um, transfers too, you know, the guys that came in, in the, in January, you know, they, hopefully they can fill some spots for us and, and build depth. Uh, but really it's, it's kind of figuring out the roles and what those roles are going to be for each one of those guys Um, you know, as long as they accept those, accept them and, you know, perform the best of their ability. Like I'm excited about it. I think, um, you know, we'll be a tough out every Saturday.
0: There you go. Matt Myers, head football coach of the Kansas Wesleyan Coyotes, wrapping up our coverage of the KCAC Football Media Days. If you want to hear from some of the other coaches in the KCAC this year, you can go to the KCAC Sports website. They've got a, a link posted uh, to it. They should also have the uh, media poll and the coaches poll posted uh, for the predictions of this season. Uh, almost any minute now. It should drop right around 6 o'clock here, so... Um, Definitely keep your eyes posted for that, but the season will get underway on Saturday, August 26th for the KCAC. What is week zero in Division I is week one in the NAIA, so uh, just a few short weeks until football kicks off here locally for Kansas Wesleyan and for the Bethany College Swede. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk some college football gambling scandals. As we uh, wrap up the show, Iowa and Iowa State kind of wrapped up in some controversy. But uh, that's next here on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL. segment of In the Zone today here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. Again, in the last segment, we heard from both Mike Grossner of Bethany and Matt Myers of Kansas Wesleyan from KCAC Football Media Day earlier today. And uh, it was great. Loved it. Uh, But we have some other pressing college football news that has broken over the last 24 hours. And if you listened to the show, even yesterday, you heard me mention that I just love... To poke fun at the Iowa State Cyclones. And um, I'm going to do a little bit of that here. So if you don't enjoy that, this is your invitation to to, uh, change the dial real quick. But some news broke. Uh, Yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, that Iowa State quarterback Hunter Deckers has been accused of betting on events involving the Cyclones, including a 2021 football game and is among four current or former athletes at the university who have been charged with tampering with records related to an ongoing investigation by the Iowa Criminal Division. An affidavit included with the criminal complaint filed Monday in the Iowa District Court for Story County alleges approximately 366 bets totaling $2,799 were placed on a DraftKings Sportsbook account linked 200 deckers including 26 different wagers on iowa state sporting events so let's start there okay first of all this kid wagered $2,799 on 366 bets his average wager $7.64 that's what we're talking about his average bet was not a lot of money not earth-shattering number but the rules are the rules, okay? I don't care if you're betting a dollar, a nickel, $500, a million dollars. I don't care. The rules are the rules, and you cannot be wagering. It's like insider t- insider trading. You that's It's not cool, not allowed. And that is red flag, large, gigantic, Iowa State, big red flag, number one, okay? Second one pops up as it is... Him wagering on an Iowa State football game. Now, in 2021, Hunter Deckers was not the starting quarterback for Iowa State. And he did not play in the game in question. Brock Purdy was the starting quarterback for Iowa State in 2021. But, he would have inside direct knowledge of potential outcomes in that game. Just by nature of being on the team. Maybe he knows that Brock Purdy's girlfriend broke up with him and he's not in the right headspace or he's dealing with some sort of flu or stomach bug that hasn't gotten out in the or or one of his friends or teammates got suspended and that hasn't been announced yet. He has direct knowledge that would provide an advantage financially and he has direct impact potentially on, on the outcome there. So huge red flag number two. And that was the only one that I really need. I don't care if it was one time or a hundred times. But if you bet on your own team, I don't care if it's on yourself or um, against yourself, really, whether you're shaving points or not, in this day and age, you're done. Done. The suspension that's going to, knowing the NCAA, it's going to take forever to get that suspension announced. But it's going to be hefty just because of that alone. But furthermore, um, the affidavit alleged that he bet on an Iowa State football game that was against Oklahoma State again on October 23rd of 2021 in which he did not play but it not only it's not like he was betting on like their game against like FCS Clown College Southwest State whatever it's a big Big 12 game that was a significant game in the Big 12 race in 2021 and that's Not helping his case. Again, I don't care if it was once or a hundred times, but Iowa State ended up winning that game, but it doesn't reveal which team or what type of bet he made. Didn't say over-under, didn't say spread, didn't say money line, what have you. But the 21-year-old quarterback was underaged at the time of that bet. The legal age is 21. When it was legal in Iowa at that time, the legal age was 21. But most of these bets were placed... While he was disguising his inner identity with the help of his parents, Scott and Jamie Deckers, his parents, the people that are supposed to be the grounded, smart, and, and just I guess the, the, the people in his life that are going to be teaching him to do things the right way, were the ones helping him accomplish this. Unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. I I could read this report. I'm reading an article from ESPN.com to give you some of this information. It's all still up there, but I can't. I cannot believe some of this stuff. It's unbelievable, and I'm out of time. But it got even hairier for the state of Iowa earlier today because the kicker for the University of Iowa is now wrapped up in some allegations similar to this as well, in which he bet on Iowa football games in the last couple of seasons as well. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. We'll have a little more time on our hands. Uh, but unbelievable stuff. Highly recommend you give this stuff a read. It is fascinating that this stuff even happened, one. And two, that we are, they're starting to figure it out, and it's all kind of circulating around the state of Iowa, and both Iowa State and the University of Iowa Athletics. Um, but definitely, we will be discussing this at length tomorrow because it is fascinating And you know me, I love to gamble. I love to talk about gambling. So this is a story that I am very much intrigued by. Plus, we got to talk some more college football realignment, some news happening today of Board of Regents meetings and meetings within the Pac-12 and the ACC. But we'll talk about that tomorrow on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM.